Hello! Hi! I'm Tally. I'm Adrian. And welcome back to another fun-filled space exploratory episode of Bite Size Podcast. It's episode two of season seven, and we're continuing to talk about space stuff. And this one's going to be sad but cute. Sad but cute. Sad and cute, and also cute and sad. Yeah, all in one. Yeah, so uh, before we get too far in it here, let's uh, let's catch up. How are you? I am. What have you been up to? I'm doing really well. Um, I recently took up knitting, uh, and I fell in love with it. Um, I can't stop. I won't be stopped. My hands hurt, but it's good. <laughs> um, I just finished my first ever baby blanket, and it's a chevron pattern blanket. And it's super Ooh. cool because uh, my friend is having twins. So we just had a baby shower for her this last weekend. And I was able to give her the first of two blankets. I had no idea it was going to take that long. It's uh, That first blanket took me fucking 80 hours to knit. Yeah, I, uh, oh. I've been working on like an infinity scarf for like, I mean, honestly, it hasn't taken this long, but it's like. It's really wide so that you can wear it as, like, kind of a, a shawl as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, And uh, so it's taken me a really long time, but I still haven't finished it after, like, three months of work. Yeah. I did knock out this blanket and I think, I think close to three months. Um, but I spent, yeah. like, a lot of evenings just watching Downton Abbey and knitting for, like, six hours. <laughs> Yeah, and just in case anyone in the audience didn't know, we're both 70 years old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I took a couple days off from knitting, and then I started the second one. Um, it's going to be the same chevron pattern, but in a nice light mint color. I love a light mint color. My whole room is light mint. Ooh. Even my like uh, my comforter and everything is like a light mint with like white floral. Oh dang! Kind of on it. Yeah, it's really nice. I like it a lot. It's a very happy color. Yeah, Whenever spring I see has it, sprung. Ah, like, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what have you been up to? Uh, not much. Not much. Um, my roommate and I just went for a super awesome hike. So we're like pretty um, like in you know a non-rural area i can't metro metropolitan we're like pretty in a metropolitan area but the really cool thing about the area of the east bay in which we live is there's a big uh like regional park like state park that's like right smack dab in the middle of everything and it's all of these like really beautiful hills and it used to be a mining site and so it's called black diamond mines state oh. park i believe um, so it used to be a coal mine and it's like under like restoration. And so they've like, you know, there's lots of like wildflowers and like the hikes are beautiful. It's like along these sweet canyons and like this valley has like a bunch of dips and doodads. And so it was really, really beautiful. So I got to like get out and enjoy some of this beautiful spring sunshine. I say beautiful spring sunshine, but it's going to be 90 degrees this week. <laughs> so... <laughs> Dope. <laughs> yeah, spring doesn't really mean anything here. Like, it doesn't get above or it doesn't get below, like, 50 degrees right. in the wintertime, so. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. That sounds great and lovely. Yeah, it was great and lovely. The only thing that would have made it better is to have a dog by my side. Like a space dog? 
like a space dog. Let's talk about animals in space. Let us do it. Okay, so really quick before we get into it, um, and I think we kind of talked about, you know, just kind of like the things that happen when you're trying to further progress science, but I do want to put out a warning that this episode is going to create, or it's going to contain a lot of really sad stuff about animals. Um, so if that's not something you want to listen to, totally understand. I would definitely say skip this one and do your own research if you want to learn more about animals in space, but this one, it's definitely going to be a sad one. Yeah, real talk, just uh, as a little fun insight for the listeners, um, when we were laying out the groundwork for this episode, I had to text Tally and be like, can you please do all the mammal stuff? I cannot emotionally handle doing the research because it bums me out um, yep. so i will be telling you all about the insects and amphibians um after tally breaks our hearts <laughs> yeah um so i'm gonna start off with some cool fun history um and then we're gonna kind of talk about like the first mammals in space and kind of like the ethical question of of space exploration you know using animals um, so to start it right off, let's talk about some of the first animals to soar towards the heavens. Oh, let us. Um, so in 1783, there were massive concerns about how air travel could affect human physiology. So the Montgolfier, that's French, I don't fucking know how to say it, Montgolfier brothers. <laughs> the Montgolfier brothers. I think you're nailing um, it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I, I really tried. Um, so they were paper manufacturers and they had created the first hot air balloon after noticing that heated air caused paper to like paper um, bags, essentially, to rise when the air was heated obviously. <laughs> That's how hot air balloons work. But they didn't know that until they saw the the whole thing happen themselves over, I believe it was like over candlelight. They were eating so. uh, Tostitos. Yeah, just vibing, you know. <laughs> or and then, oh mission my god, chips. that paper's yeah. floating. <laughs> the mission tortilla chips, that's what it is in the paper bags. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, so they created the first hot air balloon, and then to do the tests, instead of sending up humans originally, they sent up a chicken, a sheep, and a duck. The duck was there as the uh, control <laughs> animal, because they already knew that ducks could go in the air. <laughs> uh, so let's oh start off on a happy note. Hold on. <laughs> they all three were just hanging out in a hot air balloon? Yeah, you just vibing. Oh my god. Vibing. That sounds I don't know really if they, like, cute. put, like, a net over top of it so they didn't, like, try and escape or, like, what the deal was. I didn't look that too far into it, but I was just, like, very intrigued at the fact oh that that God. was, like, the first three animals to, like, be involved in aeronautics. Yeah, what do you think they, <laughs> uh, what do you think they talked about while they were up there? Dude, I think the duck, you know, he was the control. I think he was probably just, like, you guys need to, like, stop freaking out. And, like, the chicken and the sheep were probably just, like, bro, what the fuck? Like... I bet the chicken was like, on. I bet the chicken was one of those dudes that's like, or gals, that's like, no, I have wings. I've totally been up here before. I know. I yeah, can do this. Yeah, the duck was like, Psh, I don't know. It was, it was a rooster. So it was oh, a male shit. chicken. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I do this all the time. Yeah. I'm super fl- And the duck was just like, the duck, gotta let it hang. the duck <laughs> pulled out a cigarette and was like, 
you ain't seen shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You ain't seen half of what I've seen in this here sky. And then the ship, um, the sheep was just like chewing cud or something. <laughs> yeah, just meh, you know, just being doing sheep stuff, you know. Yeah, I just like the funniest part about like reading about this was just like the duck was there as a control. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like all right, like even back in the day, the scientific method super important. It really is, you know. <laughs> Um, That's so now that I get to start off the uh, the episode with like a cute little thing, uh, allow me to fucking break your hearts a little bit, but also like talk about you know how uh, the human race you know cares about animals in general. Okay, cool. I'm ready. So we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about Leica the space dog. Um. So I want to start this out by saying that Leica is an international hero to many people. Yes, for sure. Um, so she was the first uh, first mammal to exit the Earth's atmosphere in November of 1957, and she marked a huge step in the advancement of space travel. Um, however, you know, although the treatment and protection of animals was not at this time as accepted by people as it is now... There was definitely issues to be had with the idea that Laika was sent into space knowing that she would die. Um, Laika was launched by the Soviets with enough air to survive for seven days, after which the Soviet scientists marked that she would die painlessly from oxygen starvation. It would happen in about 15 seconds, and she would go peacefully, having completed her mission and sending back important like physiological data to help develop a craft that could sustain human life. It's also worth mentioning, like, there's, like, a couple of, of different things that happened with Laika. So Laika was a stray, and she was in a group of female strays because they were more docile, they found out, um, that went through a couple of different tests to find out, you know, the one that would, like, react the most calmly to being in a tight, confined space. And then on top of that, after the tests were done and she was um, chosen for this program... Um, one of the scientists admitted to, like, taking her home the night before the flight and, like, having her, like, hang out in the house and, like, you know, feeding her and, like, just hanging out with her because, like, they, they knew that she was, she was being sent to her death. Oh, it's so sad. It's very sad. It's very fucking sad. Um, but it was something, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, like, the difference in cultural shit between Eastern Europe versus the United States. So Eastern Europe, great example, like when everything was happening with Chernobyl, there was people that volunteered to like go dig the trough underneath that would like flood the nuclear reactor because they were serving Russia and they were serving the people. And that's kind of like how people were in that day is like everything for country, everything for countrymen and women, obviously, but that's just the term is countrymen. Anyway, (laughs) friends, Romans, you know, (laughs) um, So there was definitely, like, the idea, not so much, like, nationalism as you would see in, like, you know, Germany or the United States in some cases, but it was more about, like, this sacrifice is being made because it will be for the betterment of mankind and it will be for the betterment of of Russia, essentially. Right. It wasn't like they were just like, you know, it'd be fucking cool if we sent a dog to its death in space. (laughs) Right, or even, like, this is just, like, they weren't so fucking cruel and cold that they were gonna be, like, 
yeah, it's a fucking stray dog. We don't care. Let's just send it up into space. Yeah. Like, obviously, they cared for these animals. They spent a lot of time around them, and they knew that they were going to be sacrificing their life in order to advance mankind in its journey towards the stars. Yeah. Um, also, even on top of that, like, knowing, like, this is the plan for her, you know, she's gonna die painlessly, it's gonna be, you know, really quick, and we're not gonna have to, like, worry about her, like, suffering or anything like that. They had that all planned out. Uh, however, it gets really fucking sad here, so if you've already been listening, but you don't want to listen anymore, I would definitely understand. Uh, unfortunately, due to the loss of the heat shield on her vessel, the temperature continued to rise, and by the time of her fourth orbit around the Earth, the heat inside her small cabin registered at over 90 degrees. It was revealed by a Soviet scientist who worked on the project uh, all the way in 1993 that she died very shortly after launch and died due to uh, the heat inside of the craft. Oh, poor little baby. Yeah. So it's really sad. Like, she did not die painlessly. She was freaking out, and it's super fucking sad. And we have... The reason why we know all of this is because there was Soviet transmissions with the information about her respiration. Oh, God. That'd be hard to listen to. Were... Well, no, 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 no. It's not, like, a recording. It was, like, um, like the beep, beep, like, the pulse monitor. Like, it was, like, a respiration monitor. And so it's just, still like... still listening to it. Well, no, 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 no. It's just on paper. Oh, okay. Like, well, it'd be hard to line. read. You would look at it and be like, oh, she's yeah, freaking she's... out and dying. Cool. I'm just going to continue to look at this data as she dies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Still so that, be a big that, It was like that. They were looking at her dying, which is super sad. Yeah. Um, so that came out. Um, so the Soviets tried to say that she had lasted for like a couple of days, but in reality and at the confirmation of a Soviet scientist who worked on the project in 1993, she died pretty shortly after launch. She did orbit the Earth, so she was the first mammal to orbit the Earth, but she died pretty shortly after that. Um, however... While many could argue that sending a dog to die alone in space is reprehensibly cool, or cruel, not cool, oh my god, I can't read. Oh my um, god. <laughs> there are many who believe that without Leica and animals like her, we would not have been able to advance our understanding of spaceflight in the way that we have. And on top of that, Russia has transformed Leica into a symbol of honor and sacrifice for her country, and she has been internationally secured within history in the forms of songs, books, zines, and even the names of bands and songs. There's people that have written poetry about her. There's children's books about her, although the ending has been changed. Uh, <laughs> there's so much. There's so Soviet stamps of many different years. There's paintings. There's things in museums. And there is a big monument of Leica in Russia to, you know, honor cosmonauts. And, and Leica is a dog. She was turned into a, a national hero um, and regarded with as much, you know, honor as any cosmonaut. Right. And I think that that's incredibly important when you consider... The fact that they that you knew that she was going to die, right? Um, just because they, you know, right off the bat, they were like, "This without you, none of this other shit would have been possible." And I think that that's really amazing. And I think that if it's something that you have to do, because it's for the betterment of mankind, because it's for the furthering of science, that if you're gonna fucking do it, that's the way to fucking do it. Yeah, you know, by for honoring sure. the fall. I mean, it's. I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision for them either. You know, like. A lot of complex emotions involved 
Absolutely. Um, so most of my information about Leica before we move on came from Space Magazine and the Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, next up in the mammal category, which is funny because it's kind of like last episode we did like red versus blue and this episode I'm going to talk about the Soviet response <laughs> versus the American response Dope. to sending mammals into space. So let's get right into it. Cool. Um, so the United States was the first to launch a primate into space with the suborbital mission of Albert the, I think, rhesus monkey? He was a macaque monkey. Right, right, right. I think is how you say it. So Albert reached a suborbital distance of 30 mi- 39 miles, which is a lot of miles, aboard a V-2 rocket, but sadly perished due to suffocation. Oh, poor little thing. Now, really quickly, like I said, I'm a little bit of a space nerd. I knew that monkeys had been sent into space, but right. I didn't know as much as I knew, even as an American, with just a very brief, you know, base interest in space, I did not know as much about these monkeys as I did about Leica. So I just want to, like, right from the start, like, talk about that and, like, the response of the two. Because, like, well, you know, Leica's death was, or the the understanding that she would die was protested by people from all over the world. The United States, there was a huge demonstration, I guess, in England about the entire situation as well. Um, but I didn't know about Albert. <laughs> I didn't either, um, yeah. Yeah, so so I just wanted to point that out really quickly. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with America sweeping all their like unmentionables under the rug. Um, that's exactly what that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> but there's also something to be said about a dog being man's best friend. That's true. Um, like we all know a dog that we love, um, and I have never met a monkey. <laughs> That's true. I'm a big fan of, like, Jane Goodall, though, and she did a lot of work with primates. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying I hate monkeys. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm just saying I love all dogs. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, um, due to the unknown physiological effects of spaceflight and existing without gravity, scientists internationally believe that animal flight was the key to monitoring whether or not humans... Stop it. Whether or not, sorry, I was, there was a pop-up on my computer. (laughs) Um, Whether or not humans could exist in space. Unfortunately, Albert was not the last monkey to perish in pursuit of this knowledge. Uh, In 1949, Albert II was launched into space, reaching an altitude of 83 miles, and unfortunately perished when complications with the parachute system caused his craft to crash land. Very sad. Yeah. Super bummer. Um... The first monkey to survive his mission, and the sixth to be launched by the United States Space Program, Albert the Sixth, who was also known as your. By the God, way, they didn't that even many Alberts. Yeah, they didn't even give him his own fucking name. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he was also the sixth one. So we talked God. about one and two, and now this is number six. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, so Albert the Sixth, also known as Yorick. <laughs> reached an altitude of 45 miles, but was unable to break the generally accepted limit of altitude into space travel, which is 65 miles. And unfortunately, even though his flight was successful, Yorick perished due to the heat in his capsule under the New Mexico sun as the retrieval team was en route. Shut up. It's not fun. (laughs) Oh, Oh, and I bet those Mm. people felt fucking terrible, too. Yeah, you just get there and it's like, Oh my god, so sad. Yeah. 
Um, the first monkeys to reach space and be retrieved safely were Abel and Baker, who were able to re- reach a height of 300 miles above the Earth's surface. However, Abe perished a couple days afterwards after an attempt to surgically remove an electrode that was used for the mission. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of tragic, not- too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like, not great. I'm so sorry. We did warn you at God, the beginning. It's, like, very sad. Fucking bleak. Yeah. Um, as the space program continued to send monkeys and apes into space... <laughs> I uh, just pictured turned... the fucking gay barrel of monkeys. Yeah. No, that's pretty much... Unfortunately, yeah. Like, in, like, a really sad way. Yeah. Like, Dang, sad dude. barrel of monkeys. God. Um, so the space program turned towards chimpanzees that are more, you know, closely... They more closely resemble humans um than the smaller monkeys that they had been sending so a chimp named ham oh cute which is great <laughs> would pave the way for alan Shepard, the first u.s citizen in space and second to yuri gagarin gagarin fuck my life I don't gagarin <laughs> gagarin <laughs> uh reaching a suborbital distance of 157 miles above the earth's surface during a 16 and a half minute flight oh. which is great cool He's super cute also. I'm sure we'll put a picture of him on the Instagram as well as Laika. Yeah, I do remember uh, when I was at NASA and we got to like go through all of their stuff. I remember seeing like Laika's picture and I remember mm-hmm. seeing Ham um, sitting around in a picture. Um, right. All super cute little babies. Yeah. Um... So, the United States continued to launch monkeys of different varieties over the years, but they quickly fell into the background as continual space missions by humans were completed successfully. Um, The United States continues to this day to launch animals into space, although they are generally mice and insects as they take up less space. Right. Um, And I can tell you about insects and amphibians. (laughs) Yeah, we'll just jump right into it. Yeah, uh, so there are, like, a shit ton of insects specifically and amphibians and whatnot that have gone into space, but I'm only going to talk about, um, I cherry-picked, and I'm going to talk about the ones that, like, furthered the space program, essentially. Yeah. Technology! Um, That's the one. Yeah. Putting the NAR in technology. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so in 1940s... 1947, to be exact, uh, fruit flies were the first living things that were sent into space. And they were on the V-2 rocket, um, which we talked about earlier, or last episode. We talked about it already. You guys know. Earlier in the series, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, The purpose was to see what effects radiation exposure had at high altitudes. So the rocket reached uh, 68 miles of altitude before it deployed the capsule, which was called the Blossom Capsule. Cute. And it did return all the flies alive. So that That's was wild. cool. Yeah, I couldn't That's really find, like, what the results were and, like, what conclusions they came to. Um, but I'm thinking they're that... Well, they're fucking alive. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, cool, no radiation or mutants. Here we go. Um, yeah, I mean, me personally, I fucking hate flute flies. So, like, if, I, if they were to perish in space, I wouldn't be mad. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> I don't care. A little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'm thinking that the results were good since they continued to send living things into space. Uh, I would assume. Yeah. They kept doing it. 
so then I'm gonna jump up to uh, 1966 and 1967, uh, where they, um, the U.S. We're studying the effects of spaceflight, radiation, and weightlessness on living things. Woo! Yeah, it's cool. And important. <laughs> uh, so the U.S. launched Biosatellite 1 in 1966, and then uh, the next Biosatellite was launched in 1967. And these had fruit flies, they had parasitic wasps, they had flower beetles, which Gross. I'm not really sure... What the fuck is a parasitic what makes it wasp? a flower beetle, but whatever. Um, and then they also sent frog eggs, along with some bacteria, amoeba, plants, and fungi. So just like a whole range of living things to get these tests done. Hell yeah. So NASA's biosatellite program was a series of three satellites to assess the effects of spaceflight, uh, especially radiation and weightlessness on living organisms. And each was designed to re-enter Earth's atmosphere and be recovered at the end of its mission. Uh, so hmm. the first one, Biosatellite 1, was carrying several specimens uh, for the study of the effects of space environment on biological processes. And when the capsule uh, was returned to land, it separated from the vehicle, um, but the rocket motor didn't work. So it just left it stranded up there and it just slowly died and decayed in orbit mm. so uh, it then eventually like re-entered but just like disintegrated in 1967 so right. no results found from that one <laughs> right. um, but biosatellite 2 carried 13 biological experiments um, including insects, frog eggs, plants microorganisms, all that kind of stuff and the capsule returned early due to a tropical storm threat. And then, uh, in spite of returning approximately a day early, its 45 hours of Earth orbital flight enabled valid conclusions to be made in the 13 experiments on board when compared to its temperature and radiation matched Earth-bound control organisms. Nice. So that's cool. Yeah. I love to meet yeah. and match uh, Earth bound organisms yeah you know, controls they did sure. it they're the same or something <laughs> or at least very similar yeah to the point where they're not dead or fried or irradiated right. is mostly important yeah. there's no suffocation or burning alive <laughs> yeah uh so then in 1970 they moved on to starting to study like space motion sickness obviously important for humans <laughs> yep uh, so they sent up two bullfrogs, <laughs> and they launched it on a one-way mission, so they knew these little buds weren't coming back. Um, right. And the mission was orbiting frog otolith satellite. <laughs> right. Uh, so this... Of uh, course. Yeah. Because why wouldn't it be? Right. It's not a mouthful at all. Right. Uh, so the otolith is a structure in the inner ear. I didn't know that. I don't know shit about ears. Um, but that's what it is, and that's what they were studying. And this otolith is um, associated with equilibrium control, um, acceleration with respect to gravity as its primary sensory input. So two American bullfrogs bull <laughs> uh, were used as the subjects in the flight, and they were chosen because their inner ear labyrinth is very similar to humans. Um, so since these were amphibians, 
they did a pre-flight surgeries um, that they performed above water, but they could keep them in water during the flight. So they didn't have to worry about like creating a whole ass habitat. And the water right. was the medium that served to cushion the vibration and all that. So they were like good to go, really. Right. And the experiment was successful and electrocardiography or ECG um, indices showed the flight frogs to be in good health during the whole flight and um, the recordings were sent back as expected and there were like several um, changes during the flight during the weightlessness period but overall it was Mm -hmm. like they were good and they were happy with what they found um, which suggested that these little dudes were able to like acclimate to the weightlessness environment. Nice. Great job, little frogs. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love a frog. They're doing it. Um, cool. Let's see. Nineteen eighty five, um they wanted to study regeneration. Um so like if a human got hurt in space, they wanted to see like how that would affect healing time and all that. Uh, so the Bion 7, or Cosmos 1667, was a biomedical research mission involving scientists from nine countries, um, and it carried two monkeys, ten male rats, and ten newts. And I'm focusing on the newts. <laughs> the newts had part of their front lib- limbs amputated. And Jesus. Yeah, right? Terrifying. Um and then their crystalline lenses, which I'm not entirely sure what that is. Maybe eyeball stuff? I don't know. Um, but they were removed, whatever they were, to study the possible rate of human recovery from injuries in space. And the mission was recovered after seven days. And I couldn't really find like what their conclusion was um, and if that was worth it to amputate these poor little dudes. But I'm assuming that it was fine because I think people can get hurt in space and heal just fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in 2007, just as a little fun fact, a lady cockroach was up there for a mission along with several other brands of animals. And uh, <laughs> she conceived. She got Ooh, knocked wow. up. Yeah. Damn, I love to be knocked up in space. It's always coming back to sex stuff with this. <laughs> it really is. Imagine fucking in space. A cockroach can. Yeah. And she did. She did. She got hers. She got knocked up. And she became the first Earth creature to produce a young that had been conceived in space. That's so crazy <laughs> that it was a cockroach. It's yeah. wild. They literally can survive anything. Yeah. And then in 2011, they were beginning to study microgravity and um, its effects on spider behavior, which I think is super cool because spiders are dope. Yeah, uh, I and agree. I, Big I agree. think these spiders are still kicking it in Denver. Oh, nice. And if Damn, that's a long time for a spider to yeah. be alive. And if it's not these particular golden orb spiders, it's... Similar oh, I ones. love an orb spider. I do oh, too. Dude, those guys rock. Yeah, because my, my friend that was just up here this weekend from Denver, um, I was telling her about this series, and she was like, are you going to talk about the spiders? Because they're in Denver. <laughs> oh, dude, that so, whips. Yeah. So now I am. So there you go. 
Um, They went up there. They're two golden orb spiders. Their names were Gladys and Esmeralda. I love that for them. I know. It's so cute. Um, And now I just imagine them as, like, the literal golden girls just, like, living in Denver, (laughs) enjoying their life. Doing doing fabric work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. They're doing great. They were sent up there with a fruit fly colony, so they had their food source. And, uh, yeah, basically what they found um, was that the golden orb spider's behavior did not really change in microgravity environments. They still spun webs that looked pretty much like the ones that they spin on Earth, um, although they were, like, slightly more circular in nature. Right. Which I thought was interesting and cool. Yeah. And then in 2018, um, they decided that they needed to find out if seeds and insect eggs could still do their thing um, while okay. up in space. Important. If we're going to try to live there. Right. For sure. So the Chinese. Especially the seeds bit. <laughs> yeah. For real. We got to eat something. We can't eat moon rocks. Mm-mm. Uh, so the Chinese lunar lander change four. I think it's change four because it's C-H-A-N-G apostrophe E. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to say change four. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but it was carrying like a bunch of sealed containers of seeds and insects, egg, insect eggs to see if they could grow and hatch up there. Um, the experiment includes 16 types of organisms. There's a cotton seed, a potato, some rape seed, a flowering plant that I can't pronounce the name of and some yeast <laughs> and of course, fruit fly eggs. That's the so one the thing. Eggs... Get them the fuck out of here. Send them Seriously. to space. <laughs> what all, all I'm thinking, though, is great. They're infesting the moon with fruit flies already. <laughs> great. Yeah, that's the best thing. I love that for us. Amazing. Yeah. I'm going to get out there eventually when we get out there, and it's just going to be fucking bullshit. Just fucking Bartending fruit flies. Ugh. Yeah. Not into it. I actually, fun fact about fruit flies, um, by the time that freight is carried across the United States, fruit flies have already had time to nest and lay eggs on fruits and vegetables. Mm. And so when you see them appear, it's because like with, you know, as fruit ripens and like the nitrogen or whatever is released from the fruit, that's when they start appearing because now they have something to feed on and they've always, they're, they're already in the incubation period by the time your produce gets to you. Which is cool. fucking fucked up. I'm sorry, Great. I just had to share that with the group. Yeah, thanks thanks for that nightmare. <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> Wash your fruits and veggies, people. Seriously, it's important. Uh, but yeah, they're still gathering information from this uh, since it wasn't that long ago. Um, and there's, so there's not much to report on. But the idea behind having the fruit fly eggs there with all of these seeds and whatnot is that if the eggs hatch, the larva would produce carbon dioxide, which would help with the germination of plants, and then they would release oxygen mm-hmm. through photosynthesis, and then it's the circle of life. Yeah, that's important. We want to make sure everything is circular yeah. in, in, in terms of space existence. Yeah, we love a circle. So then in 2021, which is the most recent little dude 
dudes sent to space um, were squids. And they wanted to see if squids will still do squid things up in space. Uh, so they sent on June 3rd, 2021, SpaceX uh, launched some water bears, uh, which I had to look up because I was like, what the fuck is a water bear? Um, it's basically Greece. like a little... It's not cute, if you're thinking it's... it's no. <laughs> it's just... It kind of looks like a sleeping bag with legs. Yeah, it's just a chubby little... <laughs> little squishy bug hanging out, I guess. Yeah. They're uh, microscopic. So yeah. Little guys. Yeah. And... So they sent up the water bears and also some Hawaiian bobtail squid to the um, international space system. So the squid were launched as hatchlings, which is cool, and they will be studied to see if they can incorporate their symbiotic bacteria into their light organ while in space, um, which I think I is a really cool... To do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really cool experiment to see, like, will squids be squidding in space? Yeah. Do squids do squid things in space? Time will tell. We'll see. Uh, speaking of circles and circling back, uh, I left out two of our biggest celebrities. I was wondering if you were going to get to them. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely just skipped over that whole part. Let's talk about, for a second, just, you know, casual mention of Belka and Strelka. Yes, please who do. Who were the second and third space dogs together. Um, so Belka, which is really cute, actually translate to squirrel in yeah. Russian. And Strelka means little arrow. Aw. Which is super fucking cute. Yeah. Um, and they spent a day in space above, uh, on board the Sputnik, uh, the Corbel Sputnik 2, which is, we talked about, uh, in the first episode was actually Sputnik 5. Um, they spent a day in space on August 19th of 1960 before safely returning to Earth. And they were the first higher living organism, so, like, other than, like, small mammals, like, they were the first big guys to go into space and survive. Um, they were accompanied by a gray rabbit, 42 mice, two, two rats, flies, fruit flies, and several plants and fungi. Um, and all of the passengers survived. They were the first Earth-born creatures to go into orbit, orbit, <laughs> orbit, <laughs> and return alive. Um, a really cute thing. Strelka, so little arrow, went on to have puppies with a dog named Aww. Pushok, who participated in many ground-based space experiments. Um, although he never went into space. And one of the puppies was named Pushnika, which is fluffy in Russian. Cute. And that was given to President John F. Kennedy. Jo oh my fucking God, <laughs> I cannot speak. John F. Kennedy. <laughs> uh, by Nikita Khrushchev in 1961. And uh, from the Wikipedia article here, a Cold War romance bloomed between Pushnika and a Kennedy dog oh named Charlie, God. resulting in the birth of four puppies that JFK referred to jokingly as the Pupniks. Oh my god! Because they were on Sputnik. Oh my They're god! They're so freaking cute. That's so cute. I'm dying. It's literally the cutest fucking thing ever. Oh, I love it. Um, so Belka and Stroka have been taxidermied and are now on display 
at the Memorial Museum of Astronautics in Moscow, Russia. Dope. And they were corgis, which is so freaking oh god. We'll post pictures of them oh. too, but they're literally the cutest fucking dogs I could ever imagine. They're so fucking adorable. Your fat little butts just floating around in space. Literally, literally. And much <laughs> much like uh Laika the first the OG space dog both of these guys, you can see them in graffiti, you can see them in art, you can see them in music, you can see them, like, all over the place in Russia. Just truly loved animals, yeah. really. Hell yeah. Which is great. We love a space dog. Yeah, and I love to add, you know, end the episode on a happy space dog note. For sure. I love it. Um, Hell yeah. Most of my research came from... Wikipedia and also NASA.gov. Um, all of the missions can be found on the NASA website. Yep. Neat. Um, I got my resources from space.com, uh, a little bit from Wikipedia, and also from the Smithsonian Magazine. I love the Smithsonian Magazine. It's really great. I love it a lot. I'm a big fan. My grandparents have been subscribed to it for fucking forever. So. Oh, dope. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I honestly, back in when I was a child, not to get away from this, but when I was a child, uh, I believe it was still through Smithsonian Magazine, um, but they have, like, you know how back in the day magazines had, like, little cutout things that you could, like, order in the mail and you just, yes. like, send in the little form and then you get, like, a cool thing back? Yeah. So I got one from the Smithsonian Magazine for one of my birthdays and it was all different kinds of cool rocks that you <gasps> could put under different kinds of, like, they were, like, bioluminescent and, like, they came, it came with, like, a little UV light that you could shine over the rocks and it, like, told you all the different, like, um... Not alchemical, obviously, but, like, the, what do you, what's that, the big board with all of the things on it? The periodic table? Yeah, that's the one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with words right now. (laughs) But, yeah, so it would, like, tell you, like, you know, where it sits on the periodic table and, like, all of the, like, where it comes from and what region. It was just really fucking cool, and it was a standout moment in my childhood, and I thought I'd share with the group. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's our uh, episode on animals and insects in space. Yeah, out there in the the last frontier. Yeah. Where I imagine, like, I imagine there was lots of dogs on, like, the first frontier, so the fact that there was dogs in the last frontier just feels right. Yeah, it really makes sense. Yeah. It's a big old bummer, but (laughs) it makes sense. Here's the thing. You know, two out of three, not bad odds. (laughs) So that's good. Yeah, there's that. It's crazy that they're stuffed. Like, I almost want to go to Moscow just to see it. Yeah, I've seen pictures. Yeah. They look... Of the stuff, yeah. Yeah, they look old. (laughs) They do look old, but they look... They did a really good job, I have to say. Yeah, they did a respectful job. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We'll put a picture on the Instagram. It'll be great. Yeah, so uh, what have you been playing lately? Oh my god, still fucking playing Elden Ring. And 
like Dead by Daylight. I still, like, I feel like I definitely play Dead by Daylight more. Like, what I'll do is I'll play Elden Ring until I get sick and fucking tired to the point that I would throw, like, a controller. I don't, because right. I'm an adult, obviously. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but I just get to the point where I'm so sick to the teeth of it that I'm just, like, I'm just gonna play Dead by Daylight with my friends. Which is, funnily enough, like, all of my friends that do the same thing that are doing the same thing right now it's like we'll play elden ring until we can't figure something out and then we'll get on and i'll play dead by daylight together nice everyone's super far ahead of me because they got the game like two weeks before me so all they do is like tell me like crazy fucking spoilers and just like ruin my life all the time cool Um, (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah it's pretty much like we play elden ring and then we get on Dead by Daylight and complain about Elden Ring. So <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a really fun time. I nice. like it a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. What have you been playing? Uh, so I decided to check out the Banner Saga. Oh. Uh, yeah, it had been floating around on my wish list for a while, and I didn't know like really all that much about it. Someone had recommended it to me years ago, and. I finally just decided to do it. Um, so it's like, it's a, it's an epic role-playing Viking saga. Um, and it's all like strategy and stuff. And, um, yeah. So like the story of it is impacted by the choices you make, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting. Um, it's not exactly my favorite style of game. Um, because it is so, I don't know, it's like playing a live comic book, I right. guess, with some fighting, if that makes mm. sense. Uh, I don't hate it. Um, honestly, when I first, like, got it and was, like, looking at, like, the pictures and whatnot and getting ready to start it, start it I kind of panicked a little bit because there's a picture that I hadn't seen before I purchased it, but it makes it look like a tower defense game. And right. I don't particularly like playing tower defense games. Right. Um, so it was like, Oh fuck, but it's not. So it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is interesting and I do like the story and I like the art and all that. Um, right. It's just not my favorite style of game. No, I totally understand. Yeah, so that's that. Right. Once again, as we do every episode, I want to give a huge thank you to all of our Patreon contributors. Uh, If you didn't notice, there was no advertisements within this episode, and that's because we are entirely funded on Patreon subscriptions. We've got a couple different tiers, so if you're just looking to support, you know, small creators and you want to contribute and, you know, hard times is hard times, you totally understand. There's a dollar a month subscription option, and that's just, you know, to lend your support. We also have $3 subscriptions, which gains you early access to episode releases. And then for our big spenders, for $6 a month, you get access to all of our bonus content, including our most recent release of our... Well, I don't know if it's the most recent, but it's the first time we've released an indie game review with actual video footage of us playing the game, which is available through Patreon. And of course, all of the bonus stuff that we've got on Patreon already from previous seasons, that's all available through Patreon. That's patreon.com slash bite-sized podcast. That's 
B-Y-T-E-S-I-Z-E podcast. Um, and of course, all of our information for everything, social media, where you can find us, if you want to email us and let us know, especially if you've got corrections for us, because we always love to learn. And uh, if we did say something incorrectly, we'd like to correct our mistake. For sure. Um, a little email box at the bottom for our email. And that's bitesizepodcast.com. Once again, that's B-Y-T-E-S-I-Z-E podcast.com. Uh, so yeah, thank you to our already existing Patreon patrons, thank you to any future ones, and we're so excited to be here on this journey with you. Yeah, thanks guys, it's real fucking dope. It's, yeah, it's super dope. Also, hinging on that, uh, so we are also looking for a social media manager, because as much as we are trying our darndest, we're not social media managers and that's very clearly evident and we will of course want to give a better experience for you so if you are a social media manager or you know of a social media manager or someone that we can contact definitely hit us up because that is the next step for us uh in the podcastosphere help us yeah <laughs> anyways so excited to uh to give us your or to give you our next episode <laughs> Uh, but ta-ta for now. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.